Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, the grain market saw plenty of pressure on the day Monday while cattle took advantage and traded higher. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. As we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America, we are going to dive into the markets here coming up later in the show with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing. But first up, let's get a look at the weather for the week ahead. We're going to dive right into it here on the show today. Joining us now, Eric Snodgrass of Nutrient. Eric, good to catch up with you, buddy. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, it's... Uh about time for us to switch this pattern around. So there's always something new for me to look at and talk about. So you say, am I doing well? Yeah, there's something something new to catch my attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's dive in. What is new catching your attention here this week? And I, you know, maybe we should, you know, just back up a little bit and look at how things have been going the last couple of days, last week, and the weekend here in the U.S. and and kind of look at the pattern where things stand uh, here as we're starting off the week. What are what have you been seeing with that weather pattern, Eric? Well, it's all a part of this story I'm trying to just craft and, and keep track of that says, how much drought are we going to have by April? That, that's it. It's just, what does winter do? So we saw over the weekend, big rains, uh, well, into last week, into the weekend, big rains hit the eastern Corn Belt, hit the Mid-South, hit the Southeast. In fact, we finally got precipitation into the Carolinas, which had been really starved for moisture. We then saw, and this was kind of a big deal, we saw a system come out of eastern Colorado and put up to six to eight inches of snow in eastern Colorado and Kansas. That's the first time some of those places had seen a decent moisture return since last July. That's a huge amount of moisture coming into the harder doing a rebelt that desperately needs it. And then the new pattern is such that we're splitting the flow in the Gulf of Alaska, which means it's got to kind of go around the West Coast and then come back together in the in the Intermountain West. And the system that's today coming out of this, uh, like New Mexico and Arizona, it's going to be really quite energetic. It's going to come out of uh, into Texas uh, tomorrow, uh, late tonight, tomorrow, spreading snow throughout big part of Texas and Oklahoma. It's going to have severe weather to its south, starting in like eastern Texas and then progressing over to the lower Mississippi River Valley, pretty close to the Gulf Coast, but still some nasty storms. And then that's the one that like rips out of Texas, goes to like Arkansas, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and then finishes in the northeast, putting down a pretty good strip of snow in that area. And there's some places in there, like myself included, we haven't had much snow here in central Illinois yet this year. So to see a system come through and maybe give us a decent chance at at four to five inches while my kids are excited i'll be driving all over the country in this stuff uh, out for for meetings and talking to farmers and stuff but uh it's it's going to be a, a decent setup for getting moisture back now after that we get into this kind of clipper mode and clippers are systems that come out of the canadian prairie and dip they drop south into the plains 
And uh, one of the places that's been really, really dry since the start of this year, uh, in addition to the Southern Plains, has been the Northern Plains in Montana. And there's a decent chance of getting some moisture back up pretty far to the north. It's not going to cure some of the longer term issues. And the good news is, is that even though they've been dry, they still got a bunch of snow on the ground up there. So there's there's a couple of inches of liquid wrapped up in that snow right now. I was in Sioux Falls last week. and they have eight foot drifts out there. I'm like, guys, this is, this is beautiful. You, you I, I know you hate it now, but you're going to love it come spring when that gets into the soil and gets into the river system. But uh, I think uh, the other major part of this whole pattern is that uh, we've been very, very mild to start the new year. Mm-hmm. And we've now got much better evidence that to finish, you know, January, get into February, we're going to see some really cold air set up and establish itself in the midsection of the country. And uh, it's not going to get all the way to the southeast, but it's going to really drop our temperatures off here in February. So you say, what's what's new? Like everything. It just seems like you wake up after a week and you're like, oh, we got 25 new things to take a close look at here. But uh, overall, if you just said, Eric, put a stamp on it, tell me what this means. Everything I just described to you is a net benefit to the United States going into spring 2023. Well, that is definitely good news to hear. We'll continue to watch that drought monitor and, of course, get ready to bundle up a little bit, too. Let's shift our focus to South America, Eric. I know we're hearing in the news, you know, coming out of the weekend, better than expected rains in Argentina. That's having an impact on the markets. As you take a look at how things unfolded over the weekend and into this week in South America and the issues with that Argentine drought, what have you seen? What are you seeing as we get into this week? Yeah, well, two things kind of help push this along, all right? First of all, the MJO for the first time in months, maybe, I don't know, it feels like maybe even a year, got into the Indian Ocean. That sets the whole pattern off in a different direction and better gives us better chances of seeing moisture come into Argentina. The second thing is there's this other kind of nerdy term we toss out there called the Antarctic Oscillation. It finally got back near zero. So what does all that mean? Fronts come through Argentina. That's the historical kind of correlation. Uh, and over the weekend, satellite measured some places picking up two to four inches of rainfall. There are some estimates of even higher than that. Uh, but this is hitting like Cordoba, uh, Buenos Aires. This is hitting Santa Fe. These are all areas that we had been talking about for months being so deep in drought. And then the models are saying, oh, here's a bunch more rain coming in the next 10 days to those same areas. So can it undo the damage that was already done? I, I think most people don't think it can, but some of the stuff that was planted in the middle and then here at the end of the planting uh, season, it's, it's really going to benefit from a lot of this. It will not revive the numbers to those pre, you know, those early USDA very lofty goals uh, for, for, for Argentina, but it's not going not gonna to be a bad thing. Uh, in Brazil, you know, they're trying to get the crop harvested and then the next crop planted, but they're a bit farther off the pace than I would have thought. I, I thought they would have really gone fast. But numbers are below the five-year average and certainly below last year. And so I, I, I don't know why, to be honest with you. I don't know what's going on there, but we still anticipate a big crop coming out of Brazil. And the moisture is still pretty good for most of Brazil, save like very far southern Brazil down near Rio Grande do Sul. So South America's got a pretty positive uh, picture with weather right now, too. Well, Eric, let's talk a little bit here. Let's crystal ball look into the spring. I know we're starting to kind of keep our eye on that spring outlook, that March, April, May time frame. What's some of the latest you're seeing with that as we look ar- around the globe? 
Yeah. You mentioned crystal ball in, in, in South Dakota last week. I had a guy say, hey, why don't you get out your crystal ball and look at this for me? I'm like, you understand my crystal ball has cataracts, right? So anyway, <laughs> you know, we get we, we, we do still want to do this. And, and here's the big thing we're still watching La Nina, right? La Nina has let go from its peak, but it still will influence the pattern. Uh, when does it stop influencing the pattern? Probably once we fully get through the month of February. I think it's going to really start to pull back. At least there's evidence to support that. Now, what does that mean uh, for spring? It appears that much of the Mid-South, the Mississippi Valley, the Tennessee Valley, the Ohio Valley, moving toward the Northeast is going to be wet for spring. Could have a very active st storm pattern. Uh, this could also mean very, very tight spring planting and spring field work and spring application windows. The models want to hang on to drought in the western and high plains, but I get it. The reason they're doing that is because they were started with drought, right? The drought was already there when they were initialized, so it's going to be hard to break away from, from that particular issue. But um, I think that we're going to have a very stormy spring. I mean, spring's normally a time we get a lot of storms, but I think it's going to be a year that's going to set up with an active jet that's going to give us that. So when I told you there's positive messages, you know, it, it's 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 looking quite good in terms of our water health going forward, at least making improvements on where we've been. I know folks can sign up for Eric's daily weather newsletter. You can find the link on our website, markettalkag.com. Eric Snodgrass with Nutrien. Always a pleasure, sir. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. Up next, we'll talk markets with John Heimberg of Total Farm Marketing. Back with Market Talk on the way right after this. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. Take a look at the market trade on Monday. It was a pretty rough day in the grains coming back from the weekend. We saw better than expected rains in Argentina. Also watching a lot of uh, long liquidation that appeared in the grain markets. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a decent day in livestock and get just a general sense of this market trade. Joining us, our good friend, John Heimberg, Total Farm Marketing is with us. John, good to catch up with you, buddy. It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, I haven't had a chance to tell you Happy New Year yet. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's been a while. I keep catching Mondays off with the holidays and things of that nature. So, but uh, a lot of things have changed since the last time we've been in after, you know, holidays, rush at the end of the year, USDA report. Uh, the market's still trying to find its footing here again. So we'll see how things kind of play out after a pretty tough start to the gray market side, at least today. Yeah, there's uh, there's been plenty of changes since the last time you and I talked. And I think just a, a good spot to start uh, with the headlines, obviously, on Monday was just the fact that this grain market under a ton of pressure. I know rains in Argentina, pretty heavy rains in some spots. That was kind of the early news in the market. But I know a lot of uh, a lot of fund positions, a lot of longs seem to get out of the market on Monday whether we're talking corn, beans, bean meal, a little bit in wheat as well. Those seem to be the two factors that stood out to me. Were those the two that stood out to you on Monday? You know, very much so. I mean, let's just go right to that soybean market, and that's really where the length is in this market overall. You got the fund sitting net uh, long in terms of record long on soybean meal, you know, about 150,000 net long contracts. You got them long in terms of the soybean market as well, a little bit above where we were last year at this time frame in terms of net positioning. Now we're starting to see some of these weather models change and maybe moderate down in Argentina. Obviously, damage has been done to those early beans, but maybe we just are getting some crop stability here. So the funds are a little bit nervous in that regard that some of the later planted beans are going to be fine. You know, instead of seeing this crop continually get smaller and smaller and smaller, it'll stabilize. 
so that got some money moving to the sidelines. You know, it started late last week when those models first started changing. And then obviously with the weekend rains and the outlook and going in the near term, you know, we continue to see some follow through selling on the overnight session. Now with that, we're back to the bottom of trading ranges or the bottom of the channels or what other terms you want to talk about. There's some decent support here, but I'm a little concerned, especially on some of these soybean contracts. You know, where could we be going? I've been talking a lot about the July contract. I just don't like the fact when you look at it technically, you know, we put that high in right before the end of the year. We had that rally to this most recent high, failed to take out the previous high, and now we're in a bit of a downsloping chart. That's a sign of that maybe some of that buying momentum in that July beam contract is disappearing. And usually when you get those types of rollovers or some profit taking coming, maybe this is it here. You know, it's still fearful that we got a little ways to go, but at least in the short term, it feels like the money wants to at least you know check off in that position, move to the sidelines in the beam market. Well, and I, I think this could apply to maybe all the grains, but especially in beans. You know, you look at those old crop contracts still holding decent levels, although they're a part of that downtrend. But then you you mentioned it. You look July, you look at some of the new crop contracts, and I've been hearing more chatter from folks, just a lot of concern, a lot of nervousness about what could happen here with some of these new crop contracts. So in light of that, do we put in some floors? Do we lock in some different option strategies here to try and protect the downside risk here, uh, especially new crop soybeans right now, John? You know, that's concerning. And obviously, we've been talking about that for quite a while now, too, about protecting value. And unfortunately, we always kind of wake up after the value disappears to a certain point. There is still room to go uh, in terms of these markets. Now, put options are expensive. That's still the hard part, trying to get out into November. But don't forget about those short date options. Maybe take a look at the July short date option. If you get a put bought in here, you can turn that into a hedge in November at, at expiration. The market is significantly lower. I've also just talked to some guys, too, just given the value of the old crop versus new. Maybe we use the July positions on the old crop just to kind of protect value in the longer term, too, as well. You know, I'm, I'm looking at gaps on the chart. Again, I'm really kind of focused on July. And there's a gap at a dollar, the 1275 area, you know, from back in this, when we put our fall, our fall low in, uh, or last spring's low, excuse me. You know, that could be a target zone that we go back and take a look at. And that's a dollar 20 below today's close. So there's still some volatility that could come to us here. Now, the other side of that weather equation that maybe we're not focusing on other than Argentina is the fact that central Brazil is starting to dry out. And if that gets those combines rolling, they are behind pace right now. It's allowed us a little bit more export demand because some of the beans weren't getting the ports. But if they get moving down there, the Brazilian farmer is undersold compared to where they could be at this time frame. Last week, I saw numbers are about 41% sold versus about 54% sold on this crop coming to the bin. Now, that's going to put some more pressure on this front end of the market as well. So that's the other side of this forecast we have to watch is what's going to be happening in Brazil. And if those combines start getting those early beans in, that premium we're holding over them is going to be in jeopardy. Well, I'm thinking of the export front, too, with soybeans. I know we got a soybean sale Monday morning to unknown. Uh, China out of the market, though, for the most part this week with their New Year holiday. So I, I wonder, you know, we get China back from the New Year holiday, if there's any COVID issues still over there, which we assume there will be. What does that export picture look like with those Brazilian beans coming more online? I think that's going to be an interesting market dynamic uh, here in the next uh, week to 14 days or so, John. 
Yeah, I think that'll be a key component. You know, that sale we got announced this morning likely occurred last week when we had, you know, some decent price strength in the market. Uh, you know, so I'm, again, kind of washing that one to the sidelines a little, but there's still some end users out there that are going to be looking for beans. And with the move the USDA did for both corn and beans, you know, may have triggered some of that end user buying a little bit to say, you know, hey, I better get some stuff covered because the U.S. supply got smaller and when everybody was anticipating it getting a little bit bigger. You know, still, though, in the longer scheme of things, again, it's just going to come down to the, you know, where those beans go. Do some of these late sales come in, get canceled? Right now, soybean exports look good. We are still tight at 200 million bushels. We still have a very good domestic market. So it's not all doom and gloom here in the bean market. But it's a point that, again, you just need to make sure you're cautious with. You know, I looked at crush margins today off the March contract, taking a big punch today. But there's still $1.95 a bushel. Uh, so there's still some value there. And then we got these crush plants coming online. I know the Shell Rock, Iowa plant came online just recently. You know, that's 40 million bushels a year of crush capacity. You do the math real simply at 50 bushels of the acre, that's 800,000 acres. Uh, you know, so that's a good demand base that's building in some of these regions. And, you know, that's still going to be a question going forward is does the crush capacity kind of do to beans what ethanol did to corn, which is kind of move that floor up, you know, give us some decent support, you know. You know, last year eleven dollars might be a floor. This year it might be twelve because of the domestic demand. You know, so there's still a lot of pieces of moving around out there in this market. But again, when the money wants to flow, we got to be cautious of what's happening. And I would rather be wrong with protection underneath the bin and watch prices go higher than trying to figure out a dollar twenty from now like why I didn't have something in place because the the risk of doing nothing has probably got a greater cost impact than the and the opportunity of doing something here. Corn market flip side over there, old crop around that 650 mark, new crop corn 580 to $6 here in this uh, recent downtrend. And, you know, since the last time you and I talked uh, was before the USDA January numbers, you mentioned some of those crops getting tightened up. I know the corn sheet was one of them. Uh, you look at this corn market, what stands out to you right now, John? Does it feel like there's as much downside risk old and new crop as there is, say, in that soybean market right now? Not at this time frame. Biggest reason why, again, we're looking at that domestic market in this east versus west issue. And the fact that, you know, we've got to get a pile of corn and, and weed and feed out to those feedlots. And you look at the cash market and the basis difference, you know, there's some incentive to keep this grain in house. Now we're starting to see a little bit of export demand pick up and, and should at this time frame. You know, that's still a key for us here. We are still well behind where we need to be on those on those corn sales. But I think with the price of corn and the tight supply, that's some of the reason we're lagging. And now end users, again, because of that USDA cut on those acreage, bringing that carry out down might feel a little bit more motivated to make sure they get some more coverage. So we'll have to kind of watch. Still going to be a very hand to mouth export sale market in my mind. Um, just like last week's numbers were very, very good, at least in terms of the export sales on Thursday's report or came out on Friday because of the day off. You know, so there's some things starting to improve there. Feels like corn, at least, we'll have to watch the downside. We're moving from the top of the range to the bottom of the range. Overall, we've got an uptrending chart since those lows in December. And, uh, you know, still like the little bit of positive side of it. But to me, maybe we just get ourselves a little bit flat here with a fairly wide trading range with last week's highs as the high. And, then, you know, if we can hold in here to establishing some lows, you know, at least until we have a better idea where those bushels are going to be globally and where the demand's going to be over the next couple of months. 
And we're having a conversation with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing. March corn on Monday was down 10 at 6.66 at a quarter. March beans down 16 at a quarter, 14.90 at a quarter. March Chicago wheat down 21 at a half, 7.20. March KC wheat was down 29, 8.19. March spring wheat was down 25, 8.87 and three quarters. We saw cattle futures, feeder cattle up triple digits, live cattle up moderately, hogs down slightly. We'll continue our conversation coming up after the break. Back with more market talk on the way right after this. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, we are talking today with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing, our guest analyst here on Market Talk. John, thinking corn, and this applies to the wheat market too. You know, one thought I've had here sitting the last couple of weeks watching fertilizer prices continue to trend down. We look at quarter wheat prices, though, in their downtrends. We have better precipitation in the Southern Plains and in wheat country. But I think about that upcoming acreage battle. I wonder how much maybe fertilizer prices are playing into what we're seeing in the grain markets. And just, you know, especially could some of these things still pencil out? That's kind of the biggest thing I'm, I'm thinking about is, you know, what does that bottom line look like for new crop here as we get into the spring planting window, John? You know, and I think that's some of the supporting factor that keeps things in this window here. And, and and again, I feel like we got a corn market that's going to probably get itself a little bit more sideways here. You know, on the old crop side, cash market coming to play, new crop side, we got to have some acres in. You know, I talk about that weather model in terms of South America. You know, the only wrinkle to that is, and again, this is way out there in terms of foresight, but if South America does shift to an El Nino type pattern or we globally switch to an El Nino type pattern, that does keep northern and central Brazil a little bit drier. That's going to allow them to harvest the beans quickly, get the second crop corn planted. But how's that going to finish out if the trend does turn drier and the globe is counting on that corn crop? You know, so there's some things like that we just have to keep an eye on. Again, those are multi-month out plays. And with the corn supply where it is, with the global or the domestic demand where it is, you know, if we see some global demand kick in a little bit here, and I know this market's waiting for China to step in, you know, that's the piece we're still missing. A corn sale to Mexico does not excite the market. Okay, we expect those. Corn sale to Colombia does not excite the market. Again, we need to see China step in and say, we need to buy some U.S. corn. And I think the market will respond very, very quickly to that. Uh, but at least this time frame, it feels like I said, we got a little bit of move, maybe getting ourselves sideways. Obviously watching the global dynamics of things with a sideways fashion, with the fear of possibly breaking lower here, you know, over the time frame, especially if that soybean market does fall apart with the South American harvest. Well, and with the wheat market, too, I know we're watching the condition of that winter wheat crop. We'll see what happens when we come out of dormancy. Thinking, though, spring wheat, I mean, 880 range, 860 to 880 in spring wheat, you know, contracts right now. I wonder, you know, that's that's definitely not the $10 uh, range we saw at the height of the Ukraine-Russia war. So I wonder 
what could that do for acreage battle? What are some of our spring wheat producers going to be thinking about here the next couple of months as they look at how those contracts are kind of laying out right now, John? You know, again, there's some opportunity, there's some value still there overall. Again, obviously not where we were last year in this time window or just after this time window when the Ukraine war broke out. You know, we're still dealing with a global supply picture that is concerning, still watching the global prices. Obviously, Russia continues to be the driver with their supply of wheat and their ability to just kind of underprice the market to move it. And that just keeps things in place. Now, today was probably a little bit about weather premium again. Are we going to see some moisture start building? You're seeing that moisture come across some of the areas in the southern plains. That could help out that, that winter wheat crop and help out, especially in some regions on the eastern side of the Corn Belt in terms of winter wheat and some planning going on there. So that's where the market came to today. Just didn't even like the technical look on things today with just that break in, out of the, that most recent range. Again, it's still a downtrending chart. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the dollar's softer, the wheat market compared to the rest of the world, we are still expensive. And that's still going to take some premium out. You know, if I was a producer of wheat here, again, I want to make sure you lock in your floor, leave that top side open in case geopolitical fires up again uh, on the longer scale. But at least looks like right now that we got a bit of a problem in terms of the, the just the sentiment of that market. The funds continue to grow their short position. They don't have any reason to step out of it right now at this time frame because the demand is not there as well as just the global price. You know, the only thing that could be a bit of a savior here is if corn prices continue to hold, and we talk about that feed deficit in the Western Corn Belt, USDA made some adjustments on that demand sheet, moving more more wheat into feed purposes. You know, and that's one of the things that could help us out again is that domestic market possibly just being there to help support prices, even though the export market might still be lacking due to the competition globally. John, let's move over to livestock. Let's talk cattle. Cattle on feed report Friday, I'd say fairly neutral, uh, pretty much as expected. But, you know, we saw this cattle market, I think, one, reacting a little bit more to those numbers from Friday, but also just the cheaper feed prices definitely had to help out a little bit on Monday. Feeder cattle, strong day. Live cattle up a little bit. What's your take on that uh, Friday report and just the moves we saw in the cattle market to start the week? You know, cattle market, I guess you said, feeder, cattle and feed report came in very, very neutral, okay? Neutral to expectations. Now, mm-hmm. it did still come through and meet what we thought, okay? Tighter supplies continue to dominate the market. Now we got cattle inventory coming up at the end of the month, too, and I'm really going to be looking at the beef cow, beef cow inventory. You know, we saw last year's slaughter pace in terms of cow, beef cow coal at, its, at a record level. We got a coal rate about 13%. That's one of the largest on record going all the way back to records in 1980. Uh, so again, we moved a lot of cows out because of the weather conditions in the West and there's still a lot of those conditions are out there. So again, that's just going to be interesting to see. That's why you're seeing that longer term feeder market today, pushing 210, 211, you know, $200 plus in the third and fourth quarter, because they're just not expecting the cattle to be there because of the cow crop not being around as well. You know, live cattle wise, again, you talk about a chart that looked a little concerning that April chart to me still is concerning until we see some type of move. You know, same thing like in that July soybean, we put a high in, we rallied back, failed to take out that high, put a reversal in. Last week, we saw the profit taking. Now we saw cash trade kind of dwindle a little bit this last week as we're maybe dealing with a little bit of backlog of cattle with the end of the year weather. You know, so we'll have to really watch what cash trade does this week. And if we get that April contract to kind of get back through, you know, that 160 plus level, then I'll feel a little better. But right now we got a little bit of a downtrending chart as some of the momentum seems to have dissipated out of the marketplace. You know, and even today it was a two-sided trade for a while in that live cattle market. It just didn't come flying out of the gate. 
So that's got me a little concerned here that, you know, hey, maybe we're at a window where this market just wants to flatten out uh, for a little bit. I did like the least the support we tested and held last week. So, you know, maybe that's the bottom of our range here after last week's trade. So, again, a little cautious. Take advantage of opportunity. Puts are pretty doggone cheap if you got cattle out there in August in the April window. Don't forget about the long-term picture, too. I mean, you've got some good prices out there. Now, I'm still friendly cattle. I'm just cautionary just because of the way the technical side is going. Again, you talk about the managed money. They were really long in the cattle market, pushing about that 90,000-plus position, spot where they could easily walk it down a few dollars here and then come back and attack it again, and maybe they have. So we'll see. Tomorrow, I think, will be a very key day in terms of cattle prices overall, uh, especially if we got some follow-through to today's strength. Hopefully, segue to hogs. A bit of a two-part question for you here. One, this hog market, I know, been volatile, choppy. Do you think we found a bottom finally in this hog market? And two, do you think the hog market has maybe been an anchor on cattle? That's spread, very widespread between cattle and hogs. And, you know, a lot of folks are bullish this cattle market, but we haven't really taken off like a rocket yet, like many have thought. Do you think hogs are maybe holding back the cattle market? So two-part question there for you, John. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of the equation. And there again, too, spent a lot of time talking about fun money today, but it's definitely a tell of what the market is thinking. I said we got a bit fairly large cattle position. Hogs are sitting as of last week's commitment trader on Tuesday was 10,000 long contracts, and they proceeded to sell this thing to a low after that Tuesday report came out. So it wouldn't shock me if they're pushing the negative side as the numbers come out here this week. Now, with that being said, they typically don't take livestock markets to the negative front. So that, that's telling me that maybe the low is near. Okay, I'm not saying it's in. I didn't like today's price action, but nice to see a little more recovery takeout Friday's high and we stayed in basically a sideways day. You know, are we building a little bear flag for one more push? You know, that's my thought process. You know, the biggest thing I don't like in the hog market right now is where the index is, the cash market is versus the futures. That's a pretty big premium there, even with the even with the February contract to the index. And definitely you got the April contract trading well over the cash market here. Until we get some stability, we'll have to see. Now, maybe we'll have a situation where the futures market leads the fundamentals higher. Uh, we'll have to watch and see that because, again, the hog market is extremely oversold. It's due for some price correction. Yeah, I think we could get that April contract back up into that low 90 window pretty quickly before we run into some real resistance if the money starts flowing back in. But to me, it's still about fundamentals. We need to see some retail demand kick up. It won't happen this week with the China Chinese holiday in place. You know That'll just kind of flatten the market there. And we need to see that cash market start to get a bid and hog numbers you know, have been fairly heavy in through here, and that's been weighing on that cash market. John, we're about out of time. We haven't touched on dairy, haven't touched on the stock market or energies yet, so I will leave it to you. Final question, any other final thoughts maybe with one of those areas you want to share today? You know, keep an eye on those outside markets. You got crude oil today trying to get back through the recent high. It looks like it's starting to slip here at the end of the day. Stock markets had a couple nice days in recovery, but again, take a look at that chart talking the technical side. Got a high in, failed to get back to that high. We got a downtrending market there. 
you know, there was a lot of recession chatter last week, not saying we're going to go into that route, but, you know, we're hearing layoffs in tech companies. You may see some additional things starting to happen there. You know, that market looks like it wants to continue to grind down here as we go into, at least in the short term, that could cause some money flow issues that we'll need to watch in those lovely risk off days, especially if we get some negative news. The next thing you know, the stock market really drops. Uh, we've got a chart that looks like it wants to go that way, at least at this time frame. Obviously, they can change. But again, that's a classic sign of lack of momentum when those charts start rolling over like that technically. John, if folks were to reach out to you and get some advice uh, there at Total Farm Marketing, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Sure, I love talking with them anytime. Feel free to give me a call, 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email at johnh at totalfarmmarketing.com. Don't forget about that website of ours, totalfarmmarketing.com. A lot of great information there. Again, it doesn't cost anything to pick up the phone and ask questions. And I'm glad to love talk strategies, ideas, thoughts, or what services we can offer you. Great stuff as always. John Heimberg, Total Farm Marketing. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Have a great week. Up next, we'll take a look at news headlines and hear comments with Arlen Suderman of Stonex. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks so much again for joining us here today. Big thanks to Eric Snodgrass of Nutria joining us at the top of the show with a weather forecast outlook here for the week ahead. And also John Heinberg, Total Farm Marketing, joining us with market analysis in segment two and three here today. We get a little more market analysis right now with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. We talked to Arlen around midday on Monday, got Arlen's thoughts on the general uh, feeling in the trade as we worked through the day on Monday. We start our conversation looking at the grain trade. First, we need to set the stage with Friday's CFTC Commitment of Traders report showing soy meal managed money had basically a record large long or ownership of the soy meal complex. Then you add to that, and that was largely built on expectations. We're going to see a short crop in Argentina. Argentina supplies much of the world with soy meal on the export market as well as soy oil. Then you see heavy rains in portions of previously dry areas of Argentina, not everywhere, um, but the rains certainly did overperform over the weekend with more coming this week and uh, looks to be turning the corner at least for now in Argentina and that just pulled the rug out from underneath these markets. Uh, corn and wheat, it's a very similar type of a situation. Corn also affected. I think the corn damage is more irreversible in Argentina than is the soybean damage with half of the soybean crop going in in the last month. It still has some opportunities to respond to these late rains. Uh, and I think the market's recognizing that. And we have a massive crop in Brazil right now. In the wheat market, uh, we're seeing some increased moisture in previously dry areas of the plains, both with the system that came through over the weekend, um, bringing good moisture to much of eastern Colorado and western Kansas. And then the next system's going to go further south into some other dry areas in Oklahoma and Texas. Um, so now we're starting to take out technical support areas on the Chicago charts. And so the algos are piling on these markets. Now, on the flip side, cattle futures uh, taking advantage of the break here in the grain, especially corn, it appears, with some decent strength in feeder cattle, live cattle, moderate strength there. Hog market a little more choppy, it appears, on Monday. What's your thoughts with this livestock trade? And I know as well we had a cattle on feed report on Friday that may be uh, getting factored in a little bit here as well today. 
Well, absolutely. It's providing some support, particularly when we had already done some liquidation last week ahead of that cattle on feed report. Uh, Feeder cattle bouncing uh, with the cheaper feed prices, certainly liking that. That's helping boost demand. When we look at that cattle on feed report, uh, pretty neutral report overall. On feed numbers of 97.1% of year ago levels, uh, December placements at 92%, December marketings at 93.9% of year ago levels. Uh, and pretty close to where the expectations were. But of particular note is Texas, where placements were down a sharp 21% year-on-year. On-feed inventories, they're now down 5% year-on-year. Also of note is steers on-feed were down 4% year-on-year, while heifers were down just 1%, meaning there's still no evidence of herd stabilization, let alone starting to rebuild the cow herd. So providing support for the cattle market today, uh, hogs initially doing a sell-off on weak cash and, and product prices, but seeing a little bit of a bounce here midday. And looking over at the outside markets, stock markets steadily climbing higher as we work through Monday's trade. Crude oil's fairly quiet, been up around uh, 1% here today. Any thoughts in those outside markets as we start off the week? Well, earnings season, uh, where the um, corporations are reporting their earnings for the fourth quarter of last year, coming in a little better than expected for many of them, and that's uh, lending some support to this market. Um, we're also, even though we're seeing higher yields on Treasuries, indicating expectations that the Fed's not done yet with raising interest rates. Still, the market seems to be getting a little bit more desensitized to that with these earnings reports coming out and showing some resiliency in the economy. And uh, after last week's uh, liquidation, we're seeing a little bit of strength come back into the stock market. And again, that is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us around midday on Monday with his thoughts and market analysis of the uh, trade action to start the week. Well, U.S. farmers on the Comstock Investments Brazil Farmland Tour, they're getting a first-hand look at Brazil's agriculture. Alan Van Namen, president and founder of Copper Cutter LLC and a Kansas farmer, explains what they've seen. Well, it's uh, been a great week. Uh, wonderful opportunity to see many uh, common aspects of farming and crop production, plus the diversified areas of coffee production, sugarcane production, uh, along with uh, dairy and uh, a lot of grain handling and grain processing, seed companies, uh, as well as uh, biomass, energy, and uh, ethanol production. He says one challenge facing Brazil farmers is their roads. I would say the uh, roads, I'd heard they'd be tough and rugged. And of course, we've also been here a while during the rainy season and had a couple days with rain showers. We're able to get around, for the most part, pretty good, but uh, it's a challenge with our roads. They have vast distances to travel, they have challenges of wood and trees that are being cleared alongside the roads, but trying to build those roads while you still have a lot of trucks and semis running up and down those roads, it's just a big challenge for them, and they have a lot of commodity, a lot of grain to haul. They probably have a shortage of gravel and sand around the area, so they don't have real good base materials close by to put down and construct new roads. So that's a big challenge for them. Van Naman explains how Brazil competes with the United States in the global market. We just have to keep working on it, keep improving our efficiencies. I'm from uh, really southwest Kansas, and we do a lot of sorghum there. I expected maybe to see a little more sorghum there than what we have, but 
I think, okay, these guys are definitely growing soybeans. They're growing soybeans twice a year, two crops at least, some places three. So uh, no wonder they have already in just the past few years exceeded production in soybeans. They look at corn a little bit as a second crop. Uh, wheat, we're seeing virtually no wheat around, so being in western Kansas, so they're not tapping into our product there. Our sorghum uh, is something that we're raising more and more and looking at doing more. From that standpoint, I'm sitting here with a little bit of comfort. I'm kind of happy to be a poor Kansas wheat <laughs> farmer and sorghum farmer. And the Comstock Investments Brazil Tour wraps up on Tuesday. That's all the time we have for Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.